I went into this so trusting and so I just, I could never have guessed that this would have been what was ahead. I just was really shocked and all they they saw in my son was his diagnosis. I ended up approaching 12 schools in our local area to take my son and it was really heartbreaking. I'm Verity Firth and this is Uniform, Season 2 of All Things Equal. Education is a human right, but not everyone is equally included. You know, from birth, you know, um, we were told advocate for your son, advocate for your son. At the time, you don't know what it means. Mm. You're just like, okay, okay, that's fine. And you're just focusing on having this baby and what does the diagnosis mean? You've got no idea. Producers Miles Herbert and Nina Copel have this story. But really, it's Sunshine and her son Israel's story to tell. Say hello. <laughs> Did you want to see? He loves Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. He watched the original the mm. other day and he loves it. <laughs> You like Ghostbusters? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good movie. Good talking. Yeah. Sunshine and Israel came into the studio to chat with our producer, Miles. My name's Sunshine and um, my husband, Ramesh, and I have got two kids. We have Israel, who is eight years old, and we have his sister, Miette, who is six years old. And we live on the Central Coast in New South Wales. And um, this is our story of going into the education world with a son with Down syndrome. And the story starts with the birth of Israel. So we just wanted to enjoy our baby and just learn to be parents and had a great time. For a while, it was just the three of them. But when Sunshine had Miette, they became a happy family of four. And when time came to go to school, I was just thinking, we've got a great school at the end of our street. Our kids are going to go there. Fantastic. End of story. So Sunshine had a plan, right until it came time to enrol Israel. How old was he at the time? He was four and a half because I thought I'll give a year's notice to give them time. I know they're going to need extra funding. I want to help the school, help him. So Sunshine got in touch with the school. Principal was lovely and said, yeah, absolutely, you know. So I made an interview and went in and met the deputy principal, who was really different and said things like, oh, is he still toilet training? I don't think it's legal to have him at a mainstream school if he's toilet training. And then she said, I think he needs to go to another school. And I just went, why? You know, he can come here with his sister. We're at the end of the street. You know, I don't understand. And she said, he's got special needs. He needs to be with his own kind and he needs to be treated specially. His own kind. Yeah. <laughs> I just went, okay, so this is when my picture started changing and I started going, this isn't what I had in mind. Someone from the local school called Sunshine to make a suggestion. Another school where Israel would be with his own kind. 
was like an institution, not really like a school. I said, he doesn't belong there. He's got Down syndrome. He doesn't belong there. He belongs at school. So Sunshine rejected the offer. And she said, he'll never get into any school up here. You can forget it. So I believed her and I was crying and just my whole world fell apart. I'm like, we're living on the Central Coast and he can't go to school on the Central Coast. And we felt really rejected by this community that, you know, we'd moved there to be a part of and embrace. People who experience disability are the largest minority group in the world, both in Australia and internationally, the most likely to be excluded. This is Dr Cathy Colligan. She's a researcher at Macquarie University. People usually assume that, you know, you're in your ivory tower at your desk at your computer, but in actual fact I'm mostly either out working on research, you know, often in the field, or working directly with students. Cathy's trying to work out how we can make education in Australia more inclusive. Basically, we had a situation in Australia in the past where it was assumed that particularly if you had an intellectual disability, you were not educable, and that was the word, educable. But then things started to change, and a new type of school was born. Special education started as a a really significant, really important revolutionary idea where people suddenly started to think, hang on, why are we assuming some people aren't capable of learning anything? These schools started to grow in popularity during the 60s and 70s. So it was really that idea, okay, we can educate people and let's start doing that. Today there are over 400 of these schools in Australia, catering to all sorts of disabilities. So when families do approach schools, as in mainstream schools, they're often told, oh, it would be much better for you to go to such and such a school. A special school. And it's very difficult because a family has the legal right to have their child enrolled in their local school. But not everyone knows that. Sunshine definitely didn't. And so um, a school for kids with disabilities put their hand up in Sydney. And they're a fantastic school, 52 kilometres away. So my daughter and I drove up and down the freeway. It was a four hours a day. So it was an hour there, an hour back, an hour there, an hour back, five days a week to get him to kindergarten. They spent a lot of time on the M1 that year. But Sunshine couldn't keep commuting. Israel's little system yet was due to start primary school. I had this problem again. How am I going to be in two separate schools 52 kilometres apart? She can't go to his school because she doesn't have a disability. So Sunshine applied to the New South Wales government for transport assistance to help Israel get to his school in Sydney and give her time to get Miet to school on the Central Coast. We were the first family they rejected. The new government had come in and they said, um, you're 16 kilometres too far. 16 kilometres, just like that. Yeah. <laughs> so I um, appealed and they refused, and I had two kids with no schools to go to. The new term was rapidly approaching, but just in the nick of time, Sunshine found a school that would take both her kids. And I said, great, can my son come in a mainstream class here with my daughter? But they said no. No, 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 no of course not. He will go in the unit. And I went, okay, we're going to give it a go. 
you know, I'm going to be open-minded and we'll give it a go. What, what do they mean by the unit? The unit, they call it a kind of inclusive education, but it's very segregated looking. So it's a building separate from the school and it's fenced off from the school. But they say, oh, but the kids get to be together at lunch and, and, um, and yeah, so we tried it. Uh, three weeks into that, you know, Israel was holding for dear life onto the front fence and screaming his head off, not wanting to go. He um, hid under the desk all day. They had him in one classroom with kids ranging five years in age. So he had up to 12-year-olds in the classroom there with him at age five um, with all different diagnoses. But the class itself wasn't Sunshine's only concern. The school was on a main road. And at those days he was a runner, so they wouldn't shut their gate And so that was a big problem for me. So we took him out of there and the school back in Sydney put the hand up and they said, we're going to organise transport. They arranged for a bus to pick up Israel and two other students on the central coast. But the commute was hard for Israel. He hated it. He hated the screaming. Some of the kids are really loud and, and he didn't cope with, you know, really loud noises. There was one kid um, for a little while there who, when he'd go past to get into the bus, would punch him in the face. And it wasn't their fault, you know, that was just part of their diagnosis. Beautiful kid, but it, it was just these kind of challenges that you only learn about as they happen. Despite the commute, Sunshine says the school was still better for Israel than the unit. He was happy to be back where he knew, and it is a beautiful school, and they loved him and, and took good care of him. I knew I didn't have to worry about him. He was, he, was, he was good. The thing is that what Israel knew, that was segregation. When you segregate children, it sends a lot of messages to the child, sends a lot of messages to the child's peers, to their family, to the teachers, and then out into the world. Dr Cathy Colligan. Of course, segregated education leads to segregated post-school situations. But segregation isn't the only way you can be excluded. It's just that sometimes exclusion masquerades as inclusion. Um, to be honest, almost anything gets called inclusion. The way that Cathy explains this, it's like she puts things on a scale from inclusion to exclusion. There's denial of education, and that's very easily recognised as exclusion. The next sort of blatant form of exclusion is segregated education. Like the segregated school Israel went to in Sydney. And then there's integration. So Denial is not inclusion, segregation is not inclusion, and integration is not inclusion either. So integration is the one that people get most stuck on. Cathy says an example of integration is when a child goes to their local school, but the school doesn't necessarily change anything to help the student or make sure they're being included. The assumption is that the child will change and that if there's any issues happening, that it's a problem that needs to be fixed within the child rather than a recognition that actually the educational setting needs to change. So it's basically you can be present in this setting, but we're not actually going to change anything or do anything to include you. In other words, refusing to close a gate for a child's safety, that is a form of exclusion. But there are even more subtle forms, micro-exclusions. 
A really common example is where you have a child in a classroom, but they're sitting to one side or at a separate table with a, a support person sitting next to them and all the other children are doing you know, the same things together, whereas that child is, is often doing something completely different. And this, once again, is a form of exclusion. They're immediately not actually belonging in this, in this situation. They're not really a part of it. They're not a full and valued member of that educational community. Sunshine says the segregated school was great in lots of ways, but it wasn't what she wanted for Israel. Plus, he was getting bullied. There was one kid who just, every time they saw him, they would attack him. And so, you know, we got quite a collection of photos of him with scratches all over his face, down his neck. So that was a bit, you know, and people saying to me, oh, but he'll be bullied in mainstream. But I was thinking, but he's getting bullied here as well. You know, there's, he's still getting beat up. (laughs) It's, I couldn't see a difference, you know. The research tells us that kids with disabilities are more likely to be bullied but that segregated schooling is not the answer. Whilst we assume that segregated education would save someone from bullying, so to speak, in actual fact, inclusive education is one of the best tools that we have to reduce bullying. Sunshine just wanted to find a school where her son would be safe and could reach his full potential. So the school's got to have the right attitude, and if they do, he can go, you know, the sky's his limit. So Sunshine went back to her local school, and this time she was armed with a bit of extra information. I finally found out that legally they couldn't refuse him. Israel has the right to attend his local public school, just like anyone else. And they basically said, OK, if we must take him, we will, but we're not going to make any exceptions for him at all. And to be honest, we don't want him, so be aware of that. They made it very clear that he was not wanted there. Sunshine didn't want to leave her son in the care of those unwilling to accept him. I don't think anyone would want that for their child. So the search continued. And as I met other schools in the area, they would all say to me, off the record, the school, your local school, is notorious for sending kids with disabilities away into other schools. Sunshine says that through this whole process, the local school had her come in 10 times. At one point, she received a call from the school's counsellor. And he said, oh, I've been told that you know, you've got emotional problems and that I need to discuss this with you. And I I was really shocked (laughs) about this. I was going, I don't understand. You know, I'm just trying to get my son into school. That's all I'm doing. I spoke to him for half an hour. At the end of the half an hour, he was so apologetic. He was saying, I can see you're just trying to get your son into school. I don't know why they asked me to call you. I'm really sorry. Do you think you were being categorised as an angry mother? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I started realising there was tricks going on. Sunshine called the Department of Education to make a formal complaint about the local school. They just said, well, they deny it. That's the end of story. I was shocked as well. You know, I've, I've, I can't stand lying. I've always been blatantly honest. Even if I haven't wanted to, I can't not be. And, you know, my story's never tra- changed. It's always been the same. I realised we were being gaslighted. Um, I learned what that term was and I realised that was happening to me. By this point in the search, Sunshine was on to the seventh or eighth school. You know, I went in quite not expecting anything towards the end. I was always expecting a no. But she rarely got just a no. More often she got things like, We don't think we can accommodate his needs. 
We don't have the resources. We don't have whatever supports are necessary. Yes, we'll take him, but we can only offer two hours a week in aid time. He'd be happier with his own kind. Through this whole process, Sunshine was trying to understand why schools were so determined to keep Israel out. I understand the teachers, you know, their biggest complaint is they've already got 30 kids in a class, they're stretched to the limit, and kids like my son are a problem. But they don't realise that their kids, they've already got at least five, six kids in that classroom who are, who've already got stuff going on. There's a myriad of reasons why kids might need more attention in class. They might have behavioural issues or learning difficulties. They just don't have that official diagnosis. And I had one friend of mine who had a friend who's a teacher at a prominent Sydney school and she private messaged me for three days telling me how selfish I was being and emotional that, you know, kids like Israel are a burden on her classrooms and, you know, should be with his own kind, which is something someone from Department of Ed said. I kept having this said to me, he needs to be with his own kind. I'm like, he's not an alien. <laughs> he's a child, you know. There's often a lot of fear, so people can be afraid If we include a child who has a disability label, then the education will be worse for the children who don't have a disability label. But what we know from the research is that's absolutely not the case. And this is super important to understand. The statistics show us that students without a disability either stay the same or improve academically in inclusive classrooms. So inclusive education really is better for children who experience disability, for children who don't experience disability, and for families, and then, of course, for society as a whole. Kathy says that the resistance to inclusion comes from fear. Fear in terms of scores, fear in terms of whether there might be any costs involved, fear in terms of whether teachers or other parents might be concerned about it, etc. It's also ignorance and fundamentally it's ableism. Um, and I think the ableism there is really at the crux of it. All they, all they saw in my son was his diagnosis. They didn't bother meeting him. He had all these tests done. You know, none of that was for my daughter. And I was like, my daughter could have issues, but she's being treated differently because she doesn't have that diagnosis hanging over her head. We assume this child will be a burden, this child will bring test scores down, this child will cost money. But there's every possibility, if not probability, that that child's going to be an absolutely fabulously wonderful contribution to the school. And for someone to assume that because the child has Down syndrome that the child is going to be a burden upon the school is ableist. Sunshine was ready to give up on the whole public education system. And then I started to look at the private sector because I thought, look, surely if we pay the money, they're going to take him, you know, and they're going to have a better attitude towards it. But then I sort of thought, no, this isn't fair. You know, public schools, they need to change their attitude. So she decided to make one last phone call. I rang this woman. I said, look, you're the 12th school I've spoken to. And she just went, what? (laughs) <laughs> and I said, yes, you're the 12th school and I'm not expecting a yes. And she said, why are we the 12th school? I was like, I don't know. This is just the path that we've come down. And she said, I'll give you a call back in a week, but I can't promise anything. And I was like, of course, of course. 
Sunshine told them all about Israel. You know, I was very honest, very honest. I'll say he's fairly nonverbal. He can be cheeky, <laughs> um, but he's a great kid and he's smart. You know, he's a bright kid. And, it, you know, if you learn to work with him, you can have a fantastic time with him. And he, he does learn. He learns really well. Anyway, she calls me back in a week and she said, we want him. She said, we want to show the Central Coast that not only can this work, but this can be really successful. And we want to show other schools that we can do this. And I couldn't believe it. Sunshine had finally found a school where Israel and Miette could be together. I asked my daughter if she wanted to go to this new school with my son. She did, because they're like twins, really. They love each other. And so by term three of last year, Israel and his sister were both in new uniforms, ready to take on their new school. It was really overwhelming for the first week or two for him. I was a bit, you know, I had my heart in my chest going, oh God, have I done the right thing? I knew that statistically I had, but had I done the right thing for him? So I was really worried and I knew that there were a few people sitting in the sidelines waiting to say, I told you so. But by week six, he was settling into the class. He'd started doing classwork. He is a completely different child. You know, he's participating with all the kids. You can't even tell him apart from any of the other children. Is he? Is school good with your sister? With Miette? Yes. Does he sign as well? A little bit, yeah. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and all the kids in his class are now learning to sign and they love it. I'm seeing all these kids coming up saying all these signs to him and they're loving it. Mm. They've just learned a song by sign. They're really enjoying it, you know? I, yeah, I would, yeah, I would have loved to because like, it's almost like a secret code. <laughs> He's like a superstar. He gets like at least 10 kids in the morning who want to come and say hello and goodbye. And the, the boys in his class who used to be like cheeky, they have really like, you know, attracted, like they just love him. And every day they come up and they're like, hugs. You know, they just adore him. And their dad has apparently said that um, he's really proud that his sons really like Izzy and that they've got such a good friendship now. But Israel hasn't just made new friends. His verbal communication is improving too. Like at the pool the other day for swimming, he's waiting his turn and he said, Mum, he said, next, me. And I just went, oh, I've never heard that before, not a sentence, you know. Do you like swimming? Yep. Yes. That's awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> inclusive education is an ongoing thing. You can always be more inclusive. So... It's about starting the ball rolling and then keeping going, keeping thinking about, okay, let's come back to and question again, how can we be more inclusive? How can we be more inclusive? And it is better for everyone. You know, so for us, we've got the happiest ending possible and it's been a miracle story and the fight's been really hard, but he is doing really well. Like We've got a long way to go, but now I can see... I can really see progress, you know. It's really exciting. All schools are absolutely legally committed, supposed to provide equal access, right? And this, this legal right that we all have 
to access to education is enshrined, not just in our own domestic legislation, but it's enshrined in the UN. So there is a UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, one article of which explicitly states that children with disabilities are not excluded from free and compulsory primary education or from secondary education on the basis of their disability. So the law is clear, yet in this episode you absolutely see that it's happening, which I think is always a big challenge for policymakers. I think the most interesting research that was mentioned in the episode, and it's the research that I think we should really get out there, is that there are obviously clear educational benefits for students with disabilities going into an inclusive and mainstream environment. But there's also education benefits for the students without disabilities. They also do better. And one bit of research that wasn't actually in the podcast but is related to this research is that although teachers are often very nervous about teaching in a genuinely inclusive environment, what we've found in the research is that teachers over time develop confidence in their ability to be inclusive educators. They increase their positive attitudes towards inclusion through experience and support. So for the teachers, it works out. For the students without disabilities, it works out. For the students with disabilities, it works out. There is actual genuine benefits to a genuinely inclusive education environment. And I think that that is the message that we really need to be getting out there. Next time on All Things Equal, we look at a school challenging Australia's colonial legacy. We don't force them to learn. We just there to nurture them. That's their safe place. You've been listening to All Things Equal, a collaboration between the Centre for Social Justice and Inclusion at the University of Technology, Sydney, and 2SER 107.3. This podcast is produced by Miles Herbert, Ollie Henderson and Nina Copel. Marketing and communications by Olivia Stanley. And a big thanks to Laura Oxley from the Centre. This podcast was made on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation whose elders have been telling stories here since time immemorial. If you like the show, don't forget to hit subscribe and maybe give us a review so that other people can find us. Stay in the loop by finding us on Facebook and Twitter. I'm your host, Verity Firth. Thanks for listening.